0: Good morning, everybody. How's that? How are y'all doing? Everybody's good? Awesome. Man, I, I really appreciate the testimonies this morning. Um, and I did, uh, if, if you felt like I was looking at any of you on this side when I kept turning around, I was looking for Bethany, I wasn't sure, I knew she was here somewhere and I wanted her to share that story and I appreciate it. And, and Debbie, thank you for your testimony this morning too and Kara and we're going to talk about checking those boxes here in just a minute and I'm excited about the Lord beginning to speak to that this morning. Uh, I'm excited about what we're, we're going to talk about today. Last week we kind of did an introduction to this study and so today we're going to really kind of get into the meat of it. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be mindful. Uh, And I'm excited about that. And when I think about being mindful, I think about moms. And moms are pretty incredible. Uh, Raise your hand this morning if your mom has ever said one of the following things to you. And you can raise it and just keep it raised. You can put it down, whatever you want to do. Has your mom ever said wipe your feet? Raise your hand if your mom's ever told you to wipe your feet. Okay. What about um, saying please and thank you? Raise your hand if your mom's ever told you that. Okay. What about mind your manners? Raise your hand if your mom's ever said mind your manners. Okay. That last one is a little bit intriguing because how does a person mind their manners what does that really mean we use the word mind in interesting ways we say things like mind your tongue which means to speak carefully or politely or we'll say mind the story I don't know if you've heard that one before but be responsible for what happens in the story or mind your mama listen and do what your mother asks you to do or how about this one mind your own business raise your hand if you've heard that one before okay This morning we're going to continue this series called Love Like That, particularly we're going to look at a really important facet of Jesus's life, and we're going to call that mindfulness. We kicked off last week with a proposition that we all want our relationships to be healthy, not just with our family, not just with our friends, but with all of our relationships, with the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with, even strangers, and even stranger yet, with our enemies. And that might be a bold statement, but I mean, Think about how that might be possible. If it were possible for us to love like Jesus did in all of our relationships, you have to admit that our world would be different. If we looked at strangers, if we looked at our enemies, those two categories specifically, and we love those people like Jesus did, the world would be a different place. In fact, I submit that just about everything about this world would be different. This series has a a theme verse that's taken from Ephesians. We're going to look at that again right now. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And we're looking at this from the message um, translation. It says, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Today we're going to look at how observant Jesus was. Jesus saw what other people missed. When we were kids, there was a book that kind of took the world by storm, and um, many of you may have read it. Actually, you didn't read it at all because there's no words in it. It's just pictures. It's called Where's Waldo? Anybody remember this? Okay. Look for just a moment, see if you can find Waldo, just because this is fun. Can you see? Oh, yeah, he's there. I looked this morning, so I found him already. He's a guy in a red and white shirt and cap, and he's hidden somewhere on this page. And I don't know about you, but I would stare at that book for hours until at last I saw Waldo. And if I was reading or looking at that book with someone else and I was the first to find him, well, that was pretty awesome. Because I got to see what nobody else saw. If you're still looking for him, he's in the top right-hand corner next to the the rectangle flag. You see his head just to the left? He's hard to see, okay? Here's, Here's point number one for today. Everyone wants to see clearly. If we look at the Old Testament, the opening of blind eyes was one of many identifying characteristics of the Messiah. Look at Luke here where we see the prophet, where, where Jesus is uh, referring to the prophet Isaiah. Look at Luke chapter 4 verses 16 through 22. And he came to Nazareth where he, had be, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. This is Jesus his, we're talking about. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim forever the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Think about that for a minute. The eyes of the blind being opened. What an incredible miracle that must be. Can you imagine being blind and then Jesus coming and healing you and, now that you and now you can see? It doesn't get much better than that. Your whole world would change. Well, we seem to get a pretty strong message that having spiritual eyesight restored may be an even bigger deal than having your physical eyesight restored. Consider the story uh, that we call the, the Emmaus Road experience with the disciples. This is in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. It says, that very day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't recognize Jesus. I don't know how Jesus did it, but they were kept in the dark. And so Jesus is with them on the road. Involved in the conversation, and they don't realize that it's him. This conversation ensues about the events of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And Jesus seems to be delighted to hear that these two share the story in their own words with such enthusiasm. And after spending a considerable amount of time with them, Jesus gives the big reveal. Okay, so he walks this seven miles with them, and then look what happens in verse 30 and 32. It says, it was as he reclined at the table with them, and he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning with us within us while we were talking with us on this road and explaining the scriptures to us? You see, the disciples are identifying kind of what we've talked about this morning as we have shared our stories of what God has been doing in our lives. That's kind of the sentiment that I get, that our hearts begin to burn inside us. There's something that's happening through the Holy Spirit physically in our bodies as we get to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. But come on, how in the world could you fail to see something that's right before your eyes? I mean, it's clear as day. It's Jesus. How could they miss it? Think about how fascinating it is that they didn't recognize Jesus. And why is it so easy for us to miss the obvious? Police deal with this on a regular basis. People witness a crime, but they often miss the obvious. And that makes for a great crime drama, but very difficult detective work. There are things that happen in front of us so often, and we don't even see it. If you read the book in chapter one, he talks about, did y'all read the story about the dancing gorilla? Okay, If you haven't read the book, now it's obvious, but go back and read chapter one because there's a study that's done and and the teacher tells the students, it's a basketball game going on, he says, count how many times the ball is passed. And so the students are focused on counting how many times the basketball is getting passed during the course of this game. And while that's happening, a man dressed in a gorilla costume dances across the court and no one sees him because they're focused on the basketball. In the book, Les Parrott makes an interesting observation. He says, We humans are astonishingly astonishingly prone to missing what should be abundantly obvious. The researchers call it perceptual blindness. We look but fail to see, or we see without observing. In other words, because of a lack of attention, we become blind to what's going on in plain sight. And make no mistake, we are all susceptible to this kind of blindness. And so this morning, I want us to understand that eliminating our blindness is huge in our journey to loving like Jesus. Point number two is Jesus shows us how to see. The Bible uses the term mindful in its description of Jesus. And it's more important than just being observant. It has to do with giving focused attention to something. As we begin to think about being mindful of giving something focused attention, I want us to realize that we are really good at that. We are really good at focusing our attention. I want you to consider, if you don't believe me, think about this. Guys in the room, how many times has your wife said, how many times are you going to step over that before you pick it up? And you go, what? Oh, that? I didn't even know it was there. Right? Ladies, some of the ladies in the room are, are nodding their heads and smirking. Okay? Or how many times have you, have you walked past a trash can, ladies, and seen that it's overflowing and didn't notice? Didn't notice. Or or how many times have you said to your child or someone else's child, are you going to pick that stuff up? And they go, what stuff? Right? We're really good at being focused. But what I'm proposing this morning is that we ought to let the Holy Spirit shift where that focus is. All of us have the ability to focus on one thing and to ignore others. But our goal today is to allow Jesus to change what we see. As Webster makes clear, to be attentive or mindful means to express affectionate interest through close observation and gallant gestures. That's interesting. It means that if you're going to be mindful, you need to be brave. The gallant person goes where others may fear to travel. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When we are mindful, we explore uncharted territory. It's uncharted because we don't know where it's going to lead. Jesus often saw what others didn't. He would challenge his disciples and, and others several times with phrases like, how long must I be with you? In other words, don't you see what's going on here? Look at Matthew chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. Jesus said, uh, Lord, or a man comes to Jesus says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He, won't, he often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. If this story sounds familiar, it's because it was in the kid's story today, okay? And Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. I want to share with you this morning two um, compelling stories about the mindfulness of Jesus. Both are familiar to those of us who have grown up in the church world. One is a story about a greedy guy, a tax collector named Zacchaeus, and the second is about a man that, no, that nobody particularly liked. In fact, they hated him. And, and the scripture doesn't even tell us his story, but we'll call him Sam today. The story of Zacchaeus, if you want to go back and read the whole thing later, is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. But I want to summarize it for us this morning. Jesus is in Jericho, and there's a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector, and he was very wealthy, okay? He wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. And so he runs ahead and climbs a sycamore tree to see, uh, to be able to see Jesus since he was coming that way. And when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, you need to know that tax collectors in those days were, were a filthy group of people, okay? In fact, bad people were put into two categories. Uh, and during the time of Jesus, there were sinners and then there were tax collectors, okay? And the tax collectors were so bad that they were put in a category of their own. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? First of all, we know that the Jewish name, his name Zacchaeus means righteous one, okay? Secondly, he was a chief tax collector, which means he's responsible for and over other tax collectors. So he's the one in charge. We know that, he, that the Romans employed local men to collect taxes and they employed local people because lo- pe- local people knew how much money everybody had, okay? And then fourthly, that they, tax collectors often exhorted lots of money from their countrymen, more than the taxes required, and the people were forced to pay the extra, making the ta- tax collectors rich, and they were hated by everyone, both Jews and Romans. And when Jesus comes to Jericho, he looks up into a tree and he sees Zacchaeus. And this point sounds simplistic, but it's not. Many times when we are in a crowd, we see the crowd rather than individuals in the crowd. We are often treated as numbers or as objects, but Jesus saw what others missed. Check out how Zacchaeus acted. He ran to Jesus. We've talked about this before when we talked about the prodigal son, but in the East, it is unusual for men to run at all, especially a wealthy government official. Yet Zacchaeus runs down the street following like a boy who's chasing a parade. And he even climbs a tree. This guy was motivated to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus, but actually Jesus was the one seeking him. And then after he and Zacchaeus have a conversation, after responding to Christ's invitation, he then gives evidence of his faith by promising to make restitution for those that had gone wrong. So here's what the law says, and I want you to see how significant it is that that Zacchaeus is seen by Jesus. The law said that, number one, under the law, if a thief voluntarily confessed his crimes, he had to restore what was was taken, uh, add one-fifth to it, and make an offering to God. Secondly, if he stole something that could not be restored, he had to repay four times that amount. And then thirdly, if he was caught with the goods, he had to repay double. Zacchaeus... Did not quibble over the terms of the law with Jesus. He offered to pay the highest price because his heart had been truly changed, and his heart was changed because he felt seen. Jesus invited Zacchaeus, invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Joy was one of the key terms in the book of Luke, and it's the mark of a true relationship with Christ. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. And all the people saw this and heard it and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And Jesus didn't even address those people. He just did what was right. He saw what others missed, and here's the result. Look at verses 8 through 9 in Luke 19. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I will pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. Jewish society excluded tax collectors, but Jesus included them. Zacchaeus' story is one of the most dramatic conversions uh, stories in the Bible. And it's the result of Jesus seeing what other people did not see. The life of Jesus is filled with these perceptive, incidents. Where others saw a paralyzed man, Jesus saw faith. Where others saw a political traitor, Jesus saw a new disciple. Where others saw crowds of harassing people, Jesus saw people being harassed. Where others saw sinners, Jesus saw people in need of mercy. So how did Jesus see what others didn't see? It comes down to being mindful. Jesus was focused on what God was doing around him. So the third thing I want us to talk about today is what keeps us from seeing. One word, agendas. Everybody has an agenda. Not all are bad, but some are. If if you Google the word agenda, it's going to be defined as a list of things to be done, Miss Debbie. I don't know about each of you, but my life gets distracted by my to-do list and my calendar. In other words, my life runs on an agenda. Les Parrott says in the book, your agenda is nothing more than your immediate goal. I almost took a screenshot of my calendar and my to-do list and put them up on the screen for you today because I want you to see that my life is incredibly structured. And I've shared that with you guys before. If I don't put it on my calendar, it doesn't happen. But here's what happens. If we're not careful, if I'm not careful, and often I'm not, we let checking the box become more important than the thing that the box represents. Instead of letting our lives be organized by our agendas, we let our lives become controlled by our agendas. And when that happens, they keep us from seeing like Jesus saw. We're too interested in our own goals and our own agenda in checking the boxes. We're so interested in that we don't have time to look, to observe, and to be mindful. Which is, by the way, the opposite of what Paul teaches in Philippians. Look at this, Philippians 2, uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather the interest of others. Did you know that some of the most significant things that will ever happen in your life happen during times of inconvenience? Not in the middle of pursuing our own agenda. You know, it's never convenient to stop and help somebody change a flat tire. It's never part of our agenda to to stop and give someone a ride somewhere. But I want you to think about how meaningful it is when someone goes out of their way to help you. Think about your life and think about the things that have been the most meaningful. Things that people have done for you or given to you or done on your behalf. And as you think about those things, what you're going to begin to see, what the common denominator is, is that someone put your needs ahead of their own. This brings us to a second story of mindfulness, the story of Sam. We don't know his name. He's just identified by his country. He's called the Good Samaritan. And this is a great story, but it's very different from that of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a real person. It's a real story. It's a thing that happened. This story of Sam is a parable, a made-up story by Jesus to illustrate and to teach a point. Let's look at that story real quick. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 29 through 35. He says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, when he saw the man, he had compassion on him. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out olive oil and wine. Then he put them on his, on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Now we know that a priest is someone that's respected by others and should have been more mindful of a man's helpless state on the side of the road, right? But he doesn't help. And a Levite, who by the way is not a priest, but still an important person, also avoids the beat up man. But a Samaritan, when he saw him, put aside his personal agenda and he helped him. Back in those days, a Samaritan was considered a half-breed, partly Jewish and partly other stuff. The Assyrians back in the 700s B.C. defeated the ten tribes of Israel in the north. And those people adopted, those Israelites adopted the Assyrians' religion and people. And the Jews hated them for it. They were offensive to them. They hated them so much that they wouldn't even travel through Samaria. They would go around it so they didn't have to be in their presence. So Sam is the least likely hero of this story. But it was Sam who saw what the others didn't see. Jesus was saying, even if your personal agenda seems holy and righteous, you may need to set it aside if you're going to be loving. Church, in order for us to be people that love like Jesus, we have to see beyond ourselves. And this is going to be challenging for every person in this room, myself included, because we're trained from the time we're a child. As a matter of fact, we're not even trained, we're born with the idea that we are the most important person in our lives. And we wrap our lives, we rotate our lives around that idea every day. Whether we're intending to or not. And so the challenge that all of us face is to every day as we wake up is to ask God to not let us make ourselves the most important person in that day. Our agendas bad? No, they can be good. Our to-do lists bad? No, they can be good. But in order to be mindful, we have to understand that sometimes... We need to set the agenda aside. We need to stop checking the boxes on our to-do list and participate in what God's doing. It requires us to put the focus on something other than ourselves. And that is challenging. So what do we do about all that? Now what? You ever feel like sometimes you're missing out on God's voice, on opportunities to love like Jesus because you're not attuned to the holy ground that you're walking on? Oblivious to what God's doing, we miss the spectacular signs of his promptings because we're overly focused on the details of our own agenda. So the first thing that we can do is ask God for wisdom. And I know that sounds simple, but it's not as simple as it seems. But I urge you to ask, in fact, ask boldly without a second thought and make that a habit. When you're praying in the morning every day, boldly ask for wisdom. The invitation for that is clear in James chapter 1 verse 5. James says this, "Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and, and it will be given to him. If you ask for wisdom, God's going to give it to you. And when you still your mind enough to sense God, you begin to see what other people don't see. You become wise to God's promptings. Did you know that the English word for wisdom is derived from an Anglo-Saxon word meaning to see? Not just to see, but to see and to understand having the power of discerning and judging rightly. By asking for wisdom, we're asking God to change the way that we see the people in our lives. We're asking to see their lives and the situations and to understand what they really need. Wisdom is what enables us to see the big picture clearly. It enables us to become proficient at hearing God's whispers. I love the way Mark was trying to describe how we talk about God speaking, that we're looking for the neon signs, but God paints in watercolors. I don't know if you've ever spent much time looking at watercolors, but the colors are not vivid and bright, and often they overlap and blend together. What we've discovered over the last year as we've been sharing these God's stories on Sunday mornings is that It's fun to celebrate the neon signs, the big things that God does, but there's so much joy in sharing the little things that God has done, the whispers that happen in all of our lives. Wisdom enables us to take off the proverbial shoes as we cross holy ground and learn to love like Jesus. The second thing we can do is to help people learn to go beyond the surface A lot of churches, we don't do this here, um, but a lot of churches during um, the worship service, there's a greeting time. I'm sure you guys have participated in churches like that before where you get up and you shake hands and you say the standard, how are you today? Or in the churches that I grew up, you'd say, um, you know, a blessing to someone, the Lord be with you, and they'd say, also with you. And, you know, it's just kind of this conversation that happens, but there's no real meaning behind it. And those things tend to be loud and people are moving around. And the expectation is just to do a handshake and nothing else beyond that. It's like, it's like speed dating for visitors to your church, okay? Just think of it that way. There's no depth to it. Rather than greeting being the end, I propose that we make it the means. That we learn to identify the people that you can pour into and catch up with later that day or later that week. Learn to identify people that you can pour into and engage more fully. To move beyond the handshake and the phrases that we say when we meet someone. Make a point to put that person, how about this, on your agenda, and let that be part of the focus of your week. Make them a priority. Key number three, encourage one another to tell specific stories of seeing with Jesus' eyes. This is a great goal for every church member, and it's something that we've even been doing this morning. It's something that we do during our stories, but we need to keep doing that. There's a reason that we've continued to do the, our story time. Even though we're out of the Hebrew study, we're going to continue to tell those stories because it changes the way we see the world. It helps us to identify God's movement and activity in our lives. When we meet here on Sundays, when you're in life groups, or even the random conversations that you have with one another during the week, continue to share those stories. And as you learn to be mindful, share those experiences too. As, as your mind begins to change, as you ask for wisdom and you begin to see things more clearly, Share those experiences with other people so that they can learn from them as well. Number four, pray for Christ-like compassion for yourself and for the church. Often in the Gospels, we're told that Jesus had compassion for a certain group of people. And this usually led to action on his part, like healing the sick or feeding the crowd. Seeing with Jesus' eyes is directly tied to compassion. Compassion. And as we see with Jesus' eyes, we will experience compassion as he did and be moved to reach out to others, both inside and outside of our families of faith. There's a lot we can learn about others, Jesus, and even ourselves, if we'll take the time to really see people. Start your week today by asking God for wisdom. Ask for the ability to see clearly what's happening right in front of your eyes and for God to show you how to respond to what you see. If we will really take the time to pay attention to the world around us, to ask for wisdom, to see what Jesus sees, to be mindful as we move through our days. We're gonna see beyond our own agendas and our eyes are gonna be open like they never have before. And we're gonna find that joy that Luke talks about so much in his gospel. When we begin to see what God's doing around us, we're gonna have opportunities to join God in what he's doing. And we're going to begin to see people the way that Jesus saw Zacchaeus. We're not going to see the sin. We're not going to see their faults. We're going to see the image bearer of God. We're going to see a person who desires to be loved and a person that we desire to love. Those people will respond the way Zacchaeus did. And you're going to experience joy as they experience joy, learning what it means to be in a relationship with the Father. I want to remind us that this is a gathering place and our name comes from what we've talked about today where sinners and notorious tax collectors gather together to learn about who Jesus is. We are Zacchaeuses. We are sinners. We're no better than the people that we often don't see. And so what Jesus is asking of you today is that you be like him, love like him, And introduce people who are just like you to know him the way that you do. You used to be on the outside, but now you're on the inside. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus has done in your life. And the way that we share that with people is by loving like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we think about what you've said today, as we think about what it means to be mindful... God, I ask that you would help us to put our focus not on just another box to check off during our week, but God, that you would change who we are in our hearts. God, that you would put a desire in us to be wise, to see the things that you see, to put others before ourselves, to be willing to set aside our agendas and our to-do list so that we might join you in your work. Father, I ask that joining you in in your work would be the number one thing on the agendas that we do have. Father, that that would be the thing that trumps everything else. Father, not out of obligation, but out of a desire to be with you, a desire to be a part of what you're doing, a desire that is motivated by the love that we experience from you. Jesus, change our hearts, change who we are, teach us to love the way that you do.